Uh, well, today is, is a wonderful day. We are celebrating uh, tomorrow our Independence Day from Britain. Uh, and did you know that it's been 240 years to the day tomorrow? 240 years. It's a long time uh, for, for all this to happen. And in that time period, we've uh, grown as a nation. I think we can see uh, from the very beginnings uh, of, of the nation to now, we have come a long ways. We are now a nation that uh, extends from one ocean all the way to the other ocean, and we uh, have a lot of influence in the world. We are a superpower, if you will. Uh, and, and so uh, it's, it's a great country to live in, a great country to be a part of. Uh, one thing that uh, I want us to, to kind of look at today is, is uh, allegiance. Um, I think we all uh, grew up at some point in our lives looking at the flag and saying, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Uh, we, we probably have said that so many times for many of us, uh, that's just ingrained. We can say it without even thinking about the words sometimes. Uh, but that allegiance, uh, I think, is something uh, that needs to be looked at. Uh, allegiance, uh, in, in essence, really means loyalty. Uh, when we get up there and we say that, uh, we're, we're pledging loyalty to this nation. Uh, and, and so as Christians, I think we have to uh, kind of look at our allegiances. Uh, we uh, love this country, and, and we sometimes have see changes happening that are dissatisfactory to a lot of us, and we don't know where it's going, do we? Uh, last week, we talked about our roles as Christians in this nation as citizens. Uh, we said that we need to be uh, model citizens, people that uh, you, others can look up to because it, as we live that way, as we live good lives, uh, even among non-Christians, uh, they can see our good lives and praise God for it. And so today we want to look at, at loyalty because uh, I think as Christians, uh, we sometimes... Uh, especially as American Christians, see, we sometimes forget uh, that we have dual citizenship uh, and we have different loyalties. And the question I want to ask today is, who should have our first loyalty? Who should have our first allegiance? Should it be America or should it be God? And I think as American Christians, sometimes we honestly mix this up. Uh, we forget that God sometimes should be our first loyalty. And so we want to kind of look at that today, and, and to start uh, the conversation, I want us to uh, understand, again, this fact that we have a dual citizenship. And so I want to read a passage from Hebrews, uh, and it reads like this. It says, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then... Go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. All right, so this one probably needs some explanation, right? All right, so the book of Hebrews, the author is, is writing to a group of Christians, a group of Jewish Christians, who are deciding that they are wanting to go back to Judaism and forget everything that they've uh, pledged allegiance to. Right, and so they're, they're turning away from Christianity and they're heading to Judaism. So the author of Hebrews says, no, don't do that. Right, and he's writing uh, a number of different arguments to prove that Christ is a better covenant and a better high priest. Uh, and, and there's a lot of reasons why they're wanting to change. But one of the reasons why they're wanting to leave Christianity and go to Judaism is because the symbolism in the Jewish religion was constantly present for them. 
Right? It was constantly in their face. And as Christians, that's not always the case, right? We don't always see everything that we're doing as an act of worship necessarily. All right? And so, uh, so here we see the symbology happening. He's talking about the symbology. He's talking about uh, one of the most essential symbols in Judaism, and that is the city of Jerusalem. Right, the city of Jerusalem was this uh, national pride for the Jews. Uh, this was this thing that, that if the city stood, uh, then there was hope for the Jews. And that's how they lived. As long as Jerusalem stood, as long as there was a temple, God is on our side. And, and he's reminding the Jews that everything as far as uh, salvation goes happens outside the city. And the, and the animals that are sacrificed for the atonement is taken outside of the city and burned out there. And in the same way, Jesus was taken outside the city that brings us salvation. And what he says at the very end is essentially this. If you want to put your hope in the city of Jerusalem, if you want to put your hope in this nationalist idea, go for it. But it's not enduring. And in fact, 10 to 25 years after the letter of Hebrews is written, the city of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And it's going to, the temple is going to be torn down and, and never to be rebuilt to this day. All right? And so these people that are putting their hopes in the city of Jerusalem, when it crumbles, what do you have left? Nothing. And he says, don't put your hope there. I mean, if you really want to, you can, but it's not going to endure. But put your hope in the city that's to come. The hope should be in heaven, where Jesus is. And we can make a connection to where we're at today. We can, if we really want to, put our hope in the United States of America. We can. And we can think that that is the Savior of the world and that everybody needs to, to copy us, because that's kind of how we live but if we do that, I'm here to tell you today that America is not the savior of the world. And if we put our hope in this country, there's going to come a time when it stops enduring. And if our hope is in this country, we've missed it. And we're going to have nothing left. But we have a better hope, a better city that we can put our hope into. And I think when it comes to allegiances, this needs to be our first allegiance to the kingdom of God rather than any nation on this world. So let's turn to uh, Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to look uh, at something that Daniel writes uh, and encounters in his life that I think kind of carries with this idea of where we should be putting our, our allegiances, our loyalties, our hope in. All right, Daniel a uh, little bit of background as you're turning there. Daniel uh, is a Jew. Uh, he is probably a noble or even a royalty. All right? and, and basically what happened is the Babylonians came and they conquered Jerusalem, conquered the southern nation of Judah, and they did this twice. All right? The first time they did it, they carried a bunch of people with them, uh, and this would have been probably when Daniel and his friends uh, were taken to Babylon. Uh, then the Jews decided to rebel again, uh, like they constantly do in their uh, history, and the Babylonians came back and they completely destroyed the city at that point in time. And so Daniel and his friends, they're, they're probably from this first uh, destruction of Jerusalem uh, in this Babylonian period. Uh, and they're taken and they're basically uh, trained to be in the court of the Babylonians. 
And they did this uh, in a very sneaky way because they're they trying to get something across. They wanted these people that they had just conquered to be loyal to them. And so if you had someone come in that just conquered you and said, you need to be loyal to us and we're such a great nation and, and give all this propaganda, we would look at them and be like, no. All right? But if you had someone who uh, was of your people that came before you that you respected and said, hey, this nation's a really good nation, we should follow them, you have a lot more chance of people actually listening to that. And so that's what, kind of what the Babylonians did. When they conquered a nation, they brought people in, they trained them, and then they sent them back. And it kept kind of the other nations that had been conquered kind of peaceable for the most part. And so that's kind of what's happening. And Daniel and his three friends in Daniel chapter 1, uh, they, they go into the court and they exceed and excel all the expectations of them. And they're serving the Babylonian king. All right, and, and, and we see that they are loyal to Babylon in, in many ways, but they also understand that they have another kingdom that they are loyal to. And we see that in Daniel chapter 1, when they are told to eat from the food of the king, and they say, well, we can't actually do that because our king, God, Lord Almighty, says that I shouldn't eat these things. And so they disobey in that way. But they're still loyal to Babylon. We see it in Daniel chapter 3, where they're serving the king, and, and Nebuchadnezzar builds this giant statue, and he tells all the people, hey, bow down and worship it. And the three friends of Daniel say, we can't do that, because we have a king that says not to worship idols like this. And even though they're tossing the fiery furnace, they're loyal to Babylon, but they're loyal to their king, God Almighty, first. We see it later in Daniel when Daniel is asked not to pray to anyone except the king alone. And what does Daniel do? He prays to the God Almighty because that's the only one he is to pray to. All right, so we see throughout the book of Daniel instances where they are loyal to the nation that they are serving, but at the same time they understand they have a greater king that's given them better promises and better commands, and they follow those first. Well, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, we 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 hear a little bit about this kingdom of God. Uh, and we're, so we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says this, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, said, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we'll interpret it. And the king said, no, not so fast. This is what I've decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your homes turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me what the dream and explain it, then you will receive gifts from me, gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me what the dream is and interpret it. All right, so, so Nebuchadnezzar, we, we see, has this dream, and we're not really told what the dream is yet. And he brings in all of his advisors. There's, there's four different classes of them. Uh, these people would have been um, uh, people that were knowledgeable and supernatural things of the day, uh, and they would have been advisors to a lot of different kings, uh, but they were, their, their expertise is in four different areas. It'd be kind of like uh, scientists that are looking at a problem, but, but they're from four different fields of study, and so they're looking at the same problem just from a different point of view. Okay, So that's kind of what's happening. They're bringing in these advisors, and he says, hey guys, I've had a dream. 
And, and these advisors would have been very knowledgeable in dream telling. They actually had manuals, okay? Whole books that they would say, okay, your dream included a blue ball. Okay, the blue ball means this, all right? And so they were waiting for Nebuchadnezzar to tell the dream because they had their manuals ready and said, if you tell us the dream, we can tell you what it means. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, huh? No, you got to tell me what the dream is. Now, that's, that's kind of weird, right? All right? It's not something that, that we would expect anybody to know. What is the dream that you had? All right? If you came up to me and said, hey, I had a dream, you tell me what it is, I'd say, your guess is as good as mine, I guess. And, and, and there's not really told why Nebuchadnezzar does this. We could probably assume you know, these, these men, they were very powerful in the nation, in every nation. Uh, they were well-respected. And what they kind of said kind of went. Everybody trusted them. And so maybe Nebuchadnezzar, he's just come into power two years into his reign, says, you know what, I don't really trust these guys. I need to knock them down, and the best way to do that is to ask them to tell me my dream. And so maybe he's trying to cut their influence on the people. Maybe... Maybe he's had a dream before, and he listened to these guys interpret the dream, but it's not really what happened. And so maybe he doesn't believe that they can actually do what they say they can do. Who knows? We're not really told. All we know is he says, no, I'm not going to tell you the dream. Well, to sum up pretty much a good portion of this, they continue to beg Nebuchadnezzar, no, we can't interpret it without you telling us what it is. And Nebuchadnezzar says, well, if you can't tell me, you're all going to die. And knowing from history Nebuchadnezzar's mentality, this is par for the course. He was going to do it. And he decides to not just kill these men, but all of the wise men in the entire nation. And they had come to Daniel's house with his friends. And they say, okay, we have to kill you now. And Daniel says, why? Why? He, Daniel wasn't invited to this. And when he hears what's happening, he says, hey, give me some time. For some reason or another, he's given the time. And he and his friends begin to pray. And as they pray, God gives them the answer. And so Daniel comes to Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 31, we read this. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance, the head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It was struck. It struck the statue at its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer, and the wind swept away them without a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So God gives Daniel uh, the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had been given. And when he comes before the king, he recites it, because that's what they had to do first, right? Tell me what the dream was, and then tell me what it means. And so he's reciting, it's a pretty straightforward dream. But there before Nebuchadnezzar's this statue, and, and we're told it's awesome in appearance. I kind of picture Nebuchadnezzar looking at this statue and just in awe, like mouth open awe, you know? And he's looking at it, and, and it's, it's nothing he's ever seen before. It's not made of one material. 
it's made of a, a bunch of different materials. There's gold, uh, there, there's silver, uh, the, the, the thighs are, are bronze, the legs and feet are, are, are iron, the, the, the feet actually have clay mixed in with that iron, uh, and it, it just looks pretty amazing. And while Nebuchadnezzar is looking at this statue, standing in all of it, here comes this rock out of nowhere, and it strikes the statue, and this beautiful, awesome, amazing statue just crumbles and is blown away. And I think this dream is so vivid in Nebuchadnezzar's mind that he just wakes up in a cold sweat, not knowing what it's about, but very much knowing that it's important. And so Daniel tells him the dream, and he begins to interpret it. And he says each of these statues represent nations, and each metal represents a different nation. And you, O Nebuchadnezzar, is the gold. And after you, there's going to be three other nations. But then there's going to be this other kingdom. And it's going to be made of a rock, not cut with human hands, not established by man. And it's going to come and it's going to crush and crumble all those other kingdoms. This is what Daniel says in verses 44 through 45. He says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it itself will endure. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, not, but not made by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. So what we have here is this kingdom. This kingdom of God that's established by God, whose king is God, and it will crumble all other nations. See, in the history of our world, nations rise and nations fall. But even as a nation rises and falls, there is one nation that has stood the test of time, that has stood for over 2,000 years, and it is the kingdom of God. It transcends so much. And what we have to understand today is this, is that someday our nation, the United States of America, will crumble just like these other nations did. It will be blown away on the wind. And when that day comes, the kingdom of God will still be here. And I hope, I hope to everything that I am that it's not while I'm here. I hope that U.S. stands for the entirety of my lifetime. But there is a very much real possibility that it won't. And so what we have to do, what we have to understand is where do our loyalties lie? Because if we believe that it is the U.S. of A. that is the Savior of the world, and we put all of our hope into that, then there is going to be a day when it is crumbled and everything that we hoped for is going to be gone. Our true loyalties in this world needs to lie in the kingdom of God. No matter what happens to this country, no matter what happens to the next country that rises from the ashes of the U.S., The kingdom of God is what matters. And when we look at Jesus and his ministry on this earth, he talked about kingdom. It was one of the focus points. You know, when he came and was announced to the world by John the Baptist, John's message was, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, and they're talking. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this earth. And Pontius Pilate says, so you are a king. 
Matthew 13 is a bunch of parables that Jesus told about the kingdom and how to live in it. You know, Jesus, he came and his, his disciples, he under, they understood that he was going to establish a kingdom. And they asked, can we sit on your right and on your left when you come into it? And Jesus' answer to that was, it's not about power. The kingdom that we're a part of is vastly different than every other nation in this world. While every other nation strive for power and influence and control, our nation is something different. Our kingdom is about serving. It's about living differently. The Jews, they were not that far off when they thought the Messiah would come to establish a kingdom. Jesus did. The kingdom that he has, though, transcends other nations. It transcends boundaries. It transcends genders. It transcends ethnicity and social class. It goes beyond all of that. And we have a king that is eternal. The God, Lord Almighty, he is our king. And while there may be different presidents every four to eight years, we have a king that is the same forever. And his rule never leaves. This kingdom is what brings hope. The United States does not bring hope and salvation to people. The hope and salvation that people need is in the kingdom of God. And that is what we have to understand. The kingdom of God is what's going to change this world, not America. And we have to live in that understanding. We have to understand that when we go into another country and try to make them exactly like America, that's not what saves them. The only thing that saves in this world is the blood of Jesus on the cross. The only thing that changes people's hearts and minds is Jesus Christ and what he did for them. And when we understand that, when we live that out in our lives as we leave here today, as we live that out, that is what's going to change the world. That is what's going to bring salvation. And that is where our hope needs to lie above anything else. See, we have this dual citizenship. And a lot of times we have this dual loyalty. But there's one nation that needs to be above the other. And it needs to stand head and shoulders above it all. And our loyalty to God needs to be above anything else that we might have in this world. I want to close with this one passage from 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles... And we talked a little bit about this last week, but just to remind you, Peter understands that we are foreigners. We're living in exile in this world. And we should be reminded of the things that Daniel had to go through and what his friends had to go through. That while they are loyal to their nation, they have a king that they are more loyal to. And there may come a day where we have to live as complete foreigners in this world. That as this country becomes more and more pagan, that we just stand bright and shine as part of a kingdom that is greater, as part of a kingdom that will one day crumble this nation. That is where our true loyalties lie. So who have you pledged allegiance to?
Have you pledged allegiance to the king that truly matters? To the nation that truly should be on your heart and mind? As much as we love this country, we should love our God more. Have you pledged allegiance to him? Have you dedicated your life to him through baptism, uniting yourself with Christ's burial and death and resurrection? Because if you haven't, then you don't have the true allegiance you need. What better day than today to celebrate your independence from sin than the day we celebrate Independence Day ourselves? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus that established a kingdom that transcends every nation on this world. Lord, sometimes it, it's hard not to think about this nation and think that the hope of the world is found in it. But Father, help us to realize that this nation is not an enduring nation. That you have already established the city that, that will endure throughout our lifetimes and into the next. And I pray, God, that as we look at our lives and examine ourselves, that we can say that we pledge allegiance to you above every other nation, above any other person, that you alone are, are first in our lives. And if we haven't been living that way, Lord, I pray that we can repent and we can turn back to you, our first love. And if we haven't taking that step to pledge allegiance to you, Lord, I pray that right now will be the day that we do that. Understanding that you alone bring salvation and hope in this world. And the hope that I need in my life is you and you alone. I ask these things in your name. Amen.